0: Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving good tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we got the Director, Teacher of Leadership for the Palmetto State Teachers Association, an author to The Path to Exceptional Living, 15 Lessons to Living an Extraordinary Life, a 20-year cancer survivor, and he is serving people with a purpose to educate and inspire. Ladies and gentlemen, the co-founder of the Craig King Group, Craig King. (sighs) (laughs) She,
1: my brother, my bulldog brother, man. (laughs) What's going on, man? How you doing? Look, Man, I'm doing so good, man. Look, when you sent me the message about being on, man, it it, it wasn't a matter of if, it was when. So um, I'm just happy to be here, man, just to share some knowledge and Hopefully, you know, something I say can save somebody. So I'm, I'm ready for it. Thanks that's, again.
0: That's why we're here, man. You're giving away some knowledge. And, you know, you can pick it up the rest when Craig writes his book. But he's going to give a little bit for, away for you today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the, next, the next book. <laughs> the next book. The next book. That's right. Let me ask you a question. Sure. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive for the man you are today? What the fuck? That's
1: easy. That's easy. The man I saw um, growing up um, every day of my childhood, Thomas Ellison King. um, My father was the uh, perfect role model for me. Um, I know that's a cliche answer, but oh man, like my dad. I, I know I'm supposed to use words, but I just, when I think about him, Mm. I just think about a consistent stream of influence and not to plug Mm -hmm, my book early, but I talk about him on page 77 of my book. I talk about how influence um, the speed and price of influence and how influence can happen in a singular moment when you meet somebody or by chance occurrence or over a consistent um, length of time. And so my dad, Thomas King had a consistent stream of influence over my life. And so when I think about the one person, the one man that I um, have come in contact with or that I think about that made me the man I am today, it's my father. I'm a spinning image of him, and I, as I get older, I see Shane, I see how um, some of the things and lessons that he put into me naturally comes out. Um, prime example: last week, I was, um, my daughter and I we were driving home. Um, shout out to Sanaya. Uh, my baby girl, uh, we were driving home and and so I'm a bonus dad to Sanaya. So when I married my wife, Tasia, um, Sanaya was 11, 12 years old. But anyway, to the story, you know, she said, we were just talking about things and she said, how do you get so good at talking to people? And I said, my dad, my dad was always open. I was a- always able to go to him and talk about anything. And so she saw that as an open door because I said, I'm just like him. And then we proceeded to talk all the way home, parked in the driveway. We talked probably for another 45 minutes about things that were important to her. And she was just like, Dad, you're really good at this. I'm like, my dad, I got it from him. And I, I taught him, he, he taught me how to navigate difficult times. You know, he taught me how to stay calm, how to give sound judgment, how to be a confidant to people who, who need um, to be uh, need someone to trust in. Uh, my wife gets on me all the time, and people get on me all the time because people confide in me with with things, and and I can hold on to it. I'm not the person that's going to get on social media. I'm not the person that's going to tell the next person about it. So all of those traits, man. I can go on and on talking
0: about Thomas E. Let's stay there for a second. Can you define? Okay. Can you define for me your definition of sound judgment?
1: That's a good question sound judgment to me would be being able to take previous, previous experiences, current knowledge, belief systems, whatever your moral compass is that drives you and take all of those things and the things that matter to make a decision. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things matter when it comes to, to sound judgment because, um, I recently, one of my buddies recently started a podcast and I gave him an idea to explore the concept of independent thinking, mm. which is an art form that we've lost. We've lost the ability to make sound judgments because we lost the ability to be independent thinkers. We are swayed so easily to, to. Um, This side or that side, because of an article we see on social media without reading the article, without researching it, without using our own belief systems, we just sway one way or another. Um, And so I think the art of independent thinking has a lot to do with sound judgment, because um, when you can think for yourself, when you can use your moral compass, the things that make you who you are to make decisions in your life, you'll find that you make the right decisions, not perfect decisions, not always the right decisions. Cause you know, we make mistakes as humans, but I think when it comes to sound judgment, those are the things that we need to consider. Um, and independent thinking is a big part of that.
0: You know, outside of survival, a lot of men are pressured to be people they are not. Mm-hmm. Outside of survival, I can understand if you were trying to survive a situation and you had to conform to educate yourself to give sound judgment So some people, they don't listen to anything their mind says. Oh, so, so sound judgment is very important. Yeah. Do you have a vision board?
1: I have done a vision board. Do I currently have one that's active and tr- full transparency? I don't have a full vision board that's active, but uh, my wife and I, we actually completed one last year that's still in our closet. So when we walk into the left, we have a vision board that we completed with my church that, um, that has some of the things that we want to accomplish um, in our marriage, in our home, as parents. And so, um, an active vision board I don't have, um, but I I realized something Sheen. Vision boards are important, right? They're they're good, they're objects. They're they're physical things that um, usually at the beginning of the year or whenever you do it, usually it's typically at the beginning of the year where people put vision boards together Um, But one thing I've found that is a constant vision board for me uh, are life experiences. Um, And and those life experiences become somewhat of an abstract vision board um, that if you're in tune to it, if you're in tune to those things that are tied to your vision, you're constantly thinking about them. For example, one thing that I know is on our vision board in our closet is getting out of debt. And my wife will tell you, I check my bank account three or four times a day. I look at my budget sheet three or four times a day because I'm always trying to find ways to accomplish that vision of getting out of debt. So it's more than just a board that I have at home. It's very active um, in my life with my experiences.
0: That's amazing, brother. That is amazing. When you think about those things and put those experiences together and it becomes universe talk, right? It becomes... Something that that has developed. Secret. (laughs) The secret, (laughs) right? The secret. Let's talk about your book and the goals that you set for that. Tell me when you sat down to write this book. What were you thinking? What gave you so many people have a hard time just starting. So tell me when did you start? Like When did you mm, put the pen to the paper? So
1: it had to have been when i started because it was such an organic experience because i wanted to write a book i mean since i was in Orangeburg bird teaching and um i always wanted to write either a leadership book a memoir about my life experiences or some type of leadership book um and so i couldn't decide the the angle that i wanted to go so in 20 i would say 2015 because it took me about three three years to write my book um I just started writing. How many years did it take you? Three years.
0: That's good. Okay. Three years. I, I just started years. I it
1: was very organic. I didn't rush mm-hmm. the process. Um, it took That's me about very three important. years.
0: That's very yeah, important.
1: I didn't rush the process, uh, Sheem. Um, so it took me about three years to write the book. And the book is called um, The Path to Exceptional Living 15 Lessons to Living an Extraordinary Life. And I'm glad it took three years because many of the lessons that came about happened within those three years
0: yeah exactly. it
1: wasn't like everything in the book happened prior to 2015 when I started writing the book some of those lessons actually happened within that time frame between 2015 and 2018 when I published when I released my book in uh, May of uh, May of 2018 and you know the book the lessons in the book deal with interactions with everyday people Uh, my family friends strangers uh, actually sometimes nobody you know Um, be a bridge builder is one of the lessons in my book where I talk about um, how uh, I was walking to work one day at the state house and I took this alley that I knew was flooded and someone put a bench in the middle of the flood in the middle of the puddle that normally gets um, flooded really bad and you normally get your socks and shoes wet and I took a screenshot or a picture of that of that bridge and I looked back at it and I said wow like this person put this here because he he had previous experiences of probably getting his shoes and his socks wet, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't standing beside that bridge yelling saying, Hey, look at me. This is what I did for you. Mm -hmm. He put it there, kept going about his business. And then I expounded on that. I said, how many of us are building bridges in our lives for other people that don't have our names attached to it? Like how how many, because Now, this podcast needs your face, needs your liking, needs you, because this is something that you're putting out for the people. My book needs to have my name on it, right? But those everyday things that we can do, those everyday things that we can do for people that we know or don't know that can build bridges that can help them along the way, it it doesn't need your name attached to it. But guess what the most powerful part of that is Sheen. Talk to me, brother. Is still part of your legacy. Mm. Even if the world has no idea your name is attached to it. Your lack, le- your legacy can have your name attached to certain things. And that, that might be a difficult concept for people to grasp. If it's my legacy, then people need to know it's with me. No.
0: Who said Not legacy totally had to be popular? popular? Huh? Who said legacy had to be popular? Come on. Come on.
1: Talk to the people.
0: It, it, I think that's where Humble comes in, right? Humble comes right there where you leave your legacy. If you're not looking for popularity, but your legacy, you know what it is. And you know about it, the way you walk and talk because your confidence know what you've done for people. Right. And I lived in that realm within the artist community. I've done a lot of things for artists that I didn't publicize, that I don't talk about. Because there's no need right. to. Because that right. moment was for them. Right. And only them.
1: Right. So, so yeah. So my book was, is, is a great book. Easy read. And and this is something anybody out there, any um, young men or seasoned men out there that are, uh, or just people in general that want to write a book. One thing I will say is don't cheat the process and you, and you will find that piece of advice from anybody in any industry, any any successful person will will tell you don't cheat the process and when it comes to writing a book don't cheat the process of having an editor a book coach shout out to tamika sims who lives right here in columbia who's my writing coach um she shut me down plenty of times she she pushed me um, and so i am proud of my entire book it has no errors it reads easily but guess what if i didn't have that writing coach pushing me and holding me accountable, it would not have been because, you know, we can produce work, right? Now, when you're an artist, when you're an artist, that's different. You don't want anybody critiquing your work, but when it comes to literature and you putting out written word for for people to read, she shared something with me. She said, Craig, you want this book to be read by someone that easily, can be easily read by someone in South Carolina, Australia, Hawaii, Mexico, Africa
0: bigger picture
1: right you you wanted to have that and so um she opened my eyes to a lot of things um when it comes to grammar you know as a teacher um by trade you know when i gave her my raw manuscript she i was just like you know what she's going to this there. <laughs> Swoosh. She, she she did a free uh five page uh sample uh editing before i um hired her and bruh, she just opened my eyes. And, Too and much grammatical
0: that. errors, right?
1: <laughs> errors, grammatical errors and just flow. Yeah, A lot of it was flow. It was definitely grammatical errors, but, but mm-hmm. also flow. So, um, Those grammatical you,
0: errors will sneak up on you because you, the way yeah. your, your brain is wired, the way you write and talk, you don't think right. there's anything wrong with that because you convinced right. yourself that you learned the process. Let me push back on you for a second when you talked about push. the artist being critiqued. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right about artists wanting to be critiqued but they they love a challenge. I think she mm-hmm. challenged you. Because yeah. being challenged and being critiqued is the line I feel shows if you want it or not.
1: Mm, that's a great point.
0: If you, if you critique and you get upset and you say I'm the best and walk away, then you're not up for the challenge of being uncomfortable. And you can never be the best without being uncomfortable.
1: Oh, I'm writing that down. <laughs> up to the ch- you're not up to the challenge Of being uncomfortable
0: You gotta be yeah, uncomfortable you got. if you want to get to the next level Once you get comfort, once you settle in And you have it yeah, That's where faith and hope comes in, right? The definition mm-hmm. of those words is knowledge and understanding And know that you know what you're doing So right. now you have to break that up a little bit yeah. Challenge yourself and get uncomfortable
1: Yeah
0: How early were you When you started goal setting? How old were you when you started goal setting? How early was it?
1: It's a great question, Sheen. I think in some form I've always been goal setting, but to to put a to put a stamp on it when it comes to my professional career, um, I would say
0: even before I, then, because people we are cocooning every day into different circumstances. Yeah. When you're young, you know. Man, I did. You can look back and say I was doing something and I didn't realize I was doing
1: it. Yeah. What this were those goal setting?
0: Yeah. What was those goal setting moments for you that you can look back now and say, "I was a young man and I was doing this, setting myself up for this."
1: Yeah. I, so in well, no, grammatical no. era,
0: I was doing yeah. this, setting myself up for that. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> so two, two instances, and and thank you for interjecting and, and providing that perspective on it because we are cocooning and we, we are, we are learning from our mistakes. And, and sometimes we don't internalize that as the process of goal setting. Right. Mm-hmm. And so two instances, the first one was pretty funny. So, uh, well funny to me still. So middle school, they had this rule that my middle school, which I still think to this day was a silly rule, but it was a rule and I broke it. So the rule was <laughs> our, our sixth grade class, our seventh grade class, um, entire class, all the students were divided in half. So one half of the students had to go to um, lunch first and the other half went to recess. And then at a certain time you flip. And so I went the opposite way because I was hungry. I wanted to eat. So I went and I got in trouble, but I didn't think it was going to be like, go to the principal's office, three paddles trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, I went, I went and eight, And so in that moment, after after that moment, I learned that procedures in, my, in their own ways are there for a reason. You know, I learned now, looking back, there was a reason those procedures were put into place and I also learned that I wasn't privy or in the position enough to even know why they were there. Mm. So, knowing your place and I think now, a lot of our, not just young people, but people in general, have a problem with knowing their place and understanding you can't you can't see where everyone else sees a situation because of where you are currently. I was a student. There was a reason why they had that in place. I was punished, and I didn't agree with being punished, but that was the case, you know, in that situation. Now, the second example really changed the trajectory of my, my career. So my you know, I didn't decide I wanted to become a teacher until my senior year in high school. Prior to that, I was going to major in computer science because that's what my oldest brother did, and he seemed to be pretty successful, right? And so not until I had an experience of mentoring a third-grade student named Sterling, my senior year in high school, um, for Project for PAL. Shout out to Manning High School, uh, Coach Michael Haynes, who was the um, advisor. Um, not until yeah. then, I realized... I realized the importance of my decisions and my goals that I set for my life because I was about to enter into a field I didn't care about. The only reason I cared about it is because my brother cared about it and wanted to pursue it. And so I realized that my actions, my thoughts, the things that I decide to pursue, the goals I decide to set, um, they matter. And so having that experience, um, those two experiences, the latter being a little bit more serious show me the importance of goal setting. So, um, Chief, you pulling some stuff out of me, man. That's good. Like, (laughs) no, no, seriously, bro. Because usually when the, the questions are asked, we look at them on a surface level. Sometimes, um, sometimes we go into depth, but, um, Wow, I never really thought about going back in time to process goal setting as a young kid, but in using like mistakes to chart the path for better decisions, which you can in turn say, you know, you make better decisions and they're somewhat, you know, goals, things that you want to do better.
0: You've been very consistent when you look back and say, I've been very consistent. And this is how I got here. That's when yeah. the universe talk starts to come in. If you need to change, if you need to pivot. But if you get somewhere and you find yourself saying, I'll give you an example. Now, we're going to go off script for a minute. I can edit this part out. But if you like to keep it, we can. Okay. Growing up in my neighborhood, it was about 10 of us. I'm the only one that went to college. I'm the only one who survived. Never been shot. Never been to prison. Everybody else in that nine have all those things, or maybe both. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. When I was at a hotel in Dubai last month, sitting on a canal, watching the sun go down over the top of the emirate, of the, of the embassy where, where the sheik lived, I looked at a guy next to me who was from Atlanta, Georgia, who was also from the hood. And I said, why do you think he chose us? Right? Why am I sitting here and, and the rest of my guys could never see this? Mm. And it bothered me for like a week. So then I started to think about, this is before I started even think about, I already thought about this show, but I didn't have the name. I didn't have anything. Then I started thinking, I want to do something about manhood. And then when I start to look back at all the things I've done, even rapping, leading and anything, I was always talking about manhood since I was a kid. And I said, I put myself here without knowing it. And I knew then that these questions I have and the able to talk to anyone, I am ready for because everything I put myself through, that my spirit put myself through, in the timing that it did, I am on the right path. Right. I think, like, I think, I think life is about timing. And let me break that down to you. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to I don't know if you're supposed to go home Let's say your next option for you Is to leave home I mean to leave to go home right to your family But let's say you were promiscuous And stopped at a club to get a drink mm-hmm. That's not That wasn't in your plan you did that You made the choice to do that Knowing that right. you should be going home You threw your timing off for your blessings To be in the right place at the right time If that makes sense like we are we are where we're supposed to be at the right time, but it's how you're there. Mm-hmm. Whether you're the president of the company or whether you're just walking in the door because you spent so much time wasting it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: No, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. We um,
0: throw our time off for the place we're supposed to be. And I think for the most part, I've I didn't do that. But talk to me about your apex in your career right now and where you would like to see if the overall zenith where you want it to be and right now tell me the apex that you did achieve
1: so the apex i did achieve and where i see myself going yes pretty much um so right now currently uh multiple apexes you know because i don't look at it just professionally um Mm-hmm. One, um, I am the husband of an amazing woman. Mm. Like going back to what you said about timing. So if I would have, like knowing what I have now and experiencing what I have now with my wife Tasia, um, and our and our daughter Sanaya if I made the decision to embark in a marriage with. Someone prior to Tasia and Sanya, I know the way I feel now with them. That would have been the wrong decision if I would have did it prior with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so now I am experiencing somewhat of an apex. You know, we've been married four and a half years, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, keep living, keep living. You're gonna get tired of it." No, bro. Like, no, I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. doesn't say we're going to have a perfect marriage, but I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. So I consider that a continuous apex of my life. Um, I love going home to her and Saniye. Um Career-wise, you know, if you would ask me when I was uh, 2004 at SC State when I was graduating, um, I was going to teach for 30 years. I was going to teach third grade. Uh, shout out to the Bulldogs. I was going to teach third grade for 30 years and retire. And so the seven years that I spent teaching, I was highly successful as a third grade teacher. I was highly successful at changing the trajectory of young boys uh, and girls' lives, mostly African-American and brown students. Um, I was highly successful at leading people. I was highly successful at being a fantastic coworker. And not this is not the glo- gloat or anything, but it. No, man,
0: speak I, to accolades. I was, you earned I it. Was,
1: I was I was fantastic, and it's not the awards. You know, it's I was fantastic at um, leading people and adding value to people and showing my worth in various situations, mm-hmm. and not necessarily you know receiving the credit for it. I, I was very successful in all of those things, and what was happening was that people were noticing that. I didn't know at the time. And so what happened was in 2008, I'm still teaching. I didn't leave teaching until 2011. 2008, my current boss came to me and said, Craig, I want to hire you. I'm not hiring anyone else, Mm. right? I said, she's not going to do that. She's going to hire somebody else. She just wants me to come. I declined the offer because in my mind, I was going to teach for 30 years, retire that, you know, whatever. 2009, same thing I, again, 2010. So, three years passed, and I'm still declining this offer. And she's holding fast Craig, I'm not hiring anybody but you. And then the time came for me to make the decision because, you know, it's going to be hard for some people to believe this, but I think most people who are like minded like us will um, see it. The reason I decided to leave teaching was because that seventh year of teaching. Because of all those things I mentioned before, I was constantly pulled on to do things within my school district. I was serving on committees. I was speaking in state and out of state, different places. And who was suffering, Sheen? My students. Mm. My students suffered. That year, they suffered so much academically, emotionally. You know, when I told them, you know, growing up, when some of my teachers said they were, were going away, it was like yes like movie day we're gonna get to do some fun stuff right but you know for my kids they would cry when i told them i had to leave when i had to go speak somewhere not right. that i didn't want to be there and so anyway going back to my apex um then i got asked to be a statewide advocate for uh, public education in south carolina in 2011 and with my current job the my boss who said I, she wasn't hiring anybody else and what does that say <laughs> about what she saw in me for her to continue doing two jobs for three years and say, that's who I want.
0: Consistency.
1: Right. And so in that moment or in those moments, I just learned so much about the, the decisions I make and the way I interact with people and how I treat people matters. Not because you want a job later down the road. It's the right thing to do. That's why you do it. All those things I mentioned, it was the right thing to do. It goes back to that person, that first question you asked me. It Mm -hmm. goes back to my dad and the example I saw in him. I saw him treat people the right way. I saw him never curse my mom out. I saw him never drink in our house. I'm not saying he didn't do anything. I never saw it. So it never happened. Right? I never experienced it. I saw him and my mom have a loving relationship in front of us. I saw him provide. I saw him work an hour and fifteen minutes away one way, but still make it to my basketball, or baseball games. Right. So going back to my apex, getting off topic a little bit. No, right? no,
0: you good. You're
1: um, so I saw those things. So those things naturally flooded into me. Um, you know, professionally and personally, I'm a great husband because I saw my dad being a great husband great father because i saw my dad becoming a, being a great father and so professionally when i decided to take that job that was the number one reason my students suffered because if it was about flexibility about pay and all those things i would have take, took in it, taken it taking it in 2008 when i was just teacher of the year and i got offered it right like if it was about those things and not saying those things are bad but that was the number one reason in i decided to leave because my kids suffered. and you know when i tell people that it's like oh your kids loved you they did well but no as as the number one factor of their um, success, because teachers are the number one factor of a a student's success in the classroom, that teacher. Home and life is important. Parent support, absolutely, those things matter. But oftentimes in education, they're used as an excuse. Oh, so-and-so is being raised by his grandparents. So-and-so is uh, in a single parent household. So-and-so has a brother or, or a friend strung out on drugs. Those things are important to know for teachers. But I decided not to use them as an excuse to why Dante, Devontae, Jaquelle, Kimberly, um, you know, all of them, Key Asia, I'm calling my student's name, why they couldn't learn. None of those things mattered.
0: Right. You know, you know the, the biggest thing people, I think, don't realize is that the way America's work system is set up for most middle class and below families, mm-hmm. you spend only about two hours a night with your family. So these kids are in school with you for what, eight hours a day? At least.
1: Yeah. Pretty. By no
0: lesser, you are kind of a surrogate parent.
1: Oh yeah, I got called dad a lot.
0: <laughs> right, and then you you, yeah. you couple in the percentages of single parent homes or the lack of leadership in the home for men or women people always look for something to look up to. And those
1: things don't matter t- when it comes to the success of those children because right. we can point to multiple examples. So it, it depends on our school system that is fractured, right? Our public school system that is fractured in the way we fund our kids and how we treat our teachers. Um, but teachers make the world a difference. And, and I'm so appreciative of the work that they do every day, man. It's, it's just phenomenal as director of teacher leadership to see to witness these teachers doing phenomenal things and being a teacher myself because I still consider myself a teacher um, knowing what phenomenal teaching looks like and to be able to see it
0: now it leads me to my next question which you partially answered but I want to go a little bit deeper for the apexes you spoke of and, and the successes you have tell me what did you sacrifice
1: I think I've sacrificed having, and I'm not, it's not necessarily a bad sacrifice, so a few things. You know, when i sacrificed having this large um, pool of, um, I guess, a large amount of time just to do, I guess, fun stuff, people would say. You know, or I, I've sacrificed, you know, time, I would say,
0: Break it all down right. for me, we because right here is the moment where there's someone else sacrificing the way you are, yeah. And they and and sometimes people don't know how to deal with the fact they are missing out on fun. They are they do think they are wasting time. Yeah. But in your... I, I
1: think to break to break it down and to I think I've sacrificed, um, a healthy mental health. Mm. Um, because a lot of times when you are all those things I mentioned before, a lot of times you don't leave time for self. My, uh, you probably don't know this, but my sophomore year at South Carolina State University, it was my first semester of my sophomore year. I was extremely depressed. Mm. Extremely depressed. Uh, it was to the point where um, I, in my car, driving around Orangeburg, three o'clock in the morning with red lights, um, thinking somebody was going to t-bone me and take me out and I was doing that on purpose um and I think going further in life ha- being a cancer survivor um and some of the mental strife that goes along with that I think I've sacrificed um receiving the help that I need mentally and I think um, a lot of times when you are that person when you are the one that people look to in a family situation or in a community situation our, your mental health suffers and one thing that saved me my sophomore year was counseling. You know, I had a so a psychosocial counselor that I talked to at the uh, Cancer Center that really helped me out a lot. And also I had a couple of friends that stayed that that would really um, be a lending ear for me. Um, and one thing, that, another thing, man, like, you know, success requires um, a, a little bit of loneliness. Mm. Um, it, it requires you to, um, be alone sometimes especially when the people around you may want to go out or do other things that don't hold value in that particular season of your life yeah. you know when I was writing my book I was you know in a moment where I was trying to get things done right when I was teaching you know it was very little for um, play outside of that and so you know sacrifice comes in in many forms and I had to be careful about it especially being married now you know because um, no matter how long my day is, I still have to go home and be husband and dad to my, my uh, girls. And so, if you're not taking care of yourself right, um, you'll find yourself sacrificing um, things that mean the, the most
0: to you. Let, let's let's continue with that because you were right there with my next question was, and we're gonna get real deep now. All right, talk to me about. Your lowest moment But not mm-hmm. just talk to me about it You already spoke of What happened your sophomore year And mm-hmm. If that was your lowest moment Let's go into how Not just saying you sought counseling But there's a right. point in you to have to go And actually seek counseling Right? Yeah. The process mm-hmm. I, We're trying to get to the point where Someone who is matching your intensity of where they were at the time yep. What makes them go and find help for that last bit of survival, that fight or flight. Tell me yeah. how did you do it?
1: What what got me there, going to the first part, and then how, how did I do it? Um, how I got there, I mentioned briefly I was, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 17. I was living with it um, my senior year in high school. Uh, didn't know it. Got diagnosed the summer after I graduated um, high school. Um, and so I actually was supposed to start at State, Um, in 99. I didn't start until 2000. Um, But that year, I went through chemotherapy, limb salvage surgery that saved my leg. I had a moment where you see it in movies, but when you experience it, when you experience it, you're like, wow, this thing really happens. I had an allergic reaction to uh, one of the chemotherapies, methotrexate, where I almost died twice. And my temperature spiked to 104, throat swelled up, and I saw in a matter of seconds visions of my life flashed before my eyes and then a white light i mean it was it was very vivid and that happened that happened twice and Sheen, that was that was that was a very low moment for me because prior to that it was more so going through the flow i had a mom who told me when i was diagnosed it's a small speed bump you'll get through it you know, just, you know, my mama said it, it it's going to happen. And so having those initial experiences where you fear or you feel and you experience like near death and, and not coming back. And what is that equivalent to somebody out there listening to this? Cause it's not going to be cancer for everybody. Right. So what's that equivalent to you where it's an awakening where your perspective changes where, wow like, this is real what I'm going through, whether it's addiction, whether it's um, abuse, whether it's um, just not feeling like you don't know yourself, whether it's being unable to provide for your family, your kids are going hungry, whatever your issue is as a man and getting to that point where it hits you in the face. Mm -hmm. And so I think fast forwarding, even when I beat cancer, fast forwarding past that and having to start college right after looking back at it and I don't fault my parents for it I mean it's just like you know I know I should have went through counseling then
0: hmm.
1: because I, did, I know I had those low moments um, going through that treatment and then just to kind of brush it off and do my freshman year breeze through it but then sophomore year to get to that point where I'm, I'm experiencing that depression Mm -hmm. And I'm doing things that could have potentially ended my life or harmed other people. That's the thing. Right. That I didn't realize in the moment. Like, hmm. If somebody hits me, it's a good chance I hurt them. Was that my intention? No. But what's the reality? Hmm. Yeah. I mean... It wasn't my intention. I was just being selfish. I, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I, you know, I'm hurting. I need to, you know, do this. But who is it hurting in return? And so, um, what what that looks like for you, you have to you have to look deep inside and figure out. You know, I need to seek help for this. Um, and I think as men, um, I think we're slowly coming to grips with um, some of the things that. We may have seen growing up that defines manhood, you know, that really doesn't define manhood.
0: You spoke something when you spoke about the different categories of what you could be dealing with to make you face a life change. Mm -hmm. Feeling like you don't know yourself. A lot of people don't even address that as an issue. And I think Mm -hmm. that was powerful what you said. When someone sits there, everything is good or everything could be bad. But you're feeling like you don't know yourself. Mm. That sounds like an out-of-body experience when you're watching yourself do things you can't believe you're doing right now. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is powerful. Um, and to, the the key is recognizing it because we 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 make excuses or we find reasons for why we did it. We justify it. Um, But when we're making those active decisions in that moment, when it's out of character, like you said, sometimes it's like an out-of-body experience experience Mm. because you're actually seeing yourself actively making this bad decision, right, and know the consequences of it, or or you're in a situation that you don't have control over, Mm. causing negative results.
0: Or you're not experienced enough to stop it. You'll you'll see it happening and you're trying to analyze instead of stopping. Yeah. And that can lead to some great destruction. Yeah. Talk to me about how important it is to leave where you're from and rebranding yourself.
1: Leaving where I'm from and rebranding yourself.
0: Your you domain, where you're from, your circle.
1: I think I think that is tied to the things you value in a moment or where you are in your life. You know, the things I value when I was 20 to 25 are different things that I value now at 39. And so the rebranding happens kind of organically where, you know, life experiences, uh, people who come into your life, um, people that exit your life that you thought would be there forever, Um, I think all of those things continue to be the rebranding experience that you experience and you never reach that apex when it comes to that. I just think it's always going to change based on your value system. Um, You know, right now in my life, I believe in, you know, I believe God. I mean, I believe family. I believe um, my work with children with cancer. um, I believe in treating people right. And I believe in serving people. And so those things are really important to me. And on some scale, all five of those things were important. But when I was 20, 25, you know, my family, as far as like a wife and kids, I wasn't thinking about that. I mean, that, that was something I valued because I experienced it. I was in it with my parents and my brothers, but that holds so much weight now. Sort of weighting change. So sometimes your belief system has always been there in different percentages, if we want to think about it like that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: as you go through life, those percentages can go up or down. You know, for example, just being shallow for a second. There was a period in time where I felt like I had to drive a BMW. You remember my white BMW at State Sheen? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And I blame my dad. I blame my dad for that. I, You know, it was older models now. We never bought them brand new now. I'm not going to perpetrate. Listen,
0: listen, I don't think, see, at that point, I don't think it's selfish. I think we're at a point now where you should indulge in certain things and say you lived and did that because there's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes it's how you present it to other people, which could be, right, somewhat ineffective in terms of not caring about the status quo of others right but if you are enjoying your life and these options are available to you, there's no yeah. reason why you shouldn't do it
1: yeah, and I was speaking from the point of like you know from that time where when you were young and wild, riding
0: around and having a good when time I was
1: little, when I was but the thing is my first being dirty, my dad bought for me and, and she and it goes back to how you, how you carry yourself and the decisions you make, even when you were young. So let me tell you about the vehicles I drove in high school. I drove an 80, a 87 Super that when you got out, you smelled like gas. Guess what? I was happy to have a car to drive. Yeah, I drove yeah. my grandfather's 84 Silverado that was loud. I drove my dad's 84, 85 gray Honda that you, when I got to the senior parking area, I had to pop the hood, unloosen the battery cable for the light on the inside to cut off. But guess what? I was thankful. I know all I about think. that. Listen. <laughs> hey, look, I was, I, was, I was so thankful. And so, it becomes and regular. It becomes regular to, to you. In. So I was playing baseball my senior year, also living with cancer, didn't know it. I came home from late one night, candy red, 87 BMW sitting in the yard. I'm thinking it's my cousin Dell from Atlanta who always had a BMW. I walk in the house and my dad, first thing he said, he says, you think you can handle that out there? Yeah, I can handle that. <laughs> like it's yours. He gave me the keys, and ever since then, I, and God, you're pulling stuff out of me, Sheen. You're pulling stuff out of me. I never thought about it like this until right now. I'm about to, for your viewers only, I'm about to pull out a lesson, probably why I was so attached to BMWs, because it was attached to what my dad saw in me and felt that like I deserved it. I, I, my son my my son is driving a car that that when he gets out at school he's smelling like gas but he's not complaining he's driving a loud truck that used to be his grandfather's that has two fuel um uh fuel re- reservoirs but only one work <laughs> you know he he's driving a, a Honda where he has to unloosen the cable for the light to come on but he's not complaining and so i think now so I had the red BMW and i had surgery on my leg and now i got the white BMW and then after that, I got a green BMW. So I think some somewhere in there was a connection to my dad. I, I think I think there was there was a connection to my dad, and I felt like to stay connected to him, even though he was still living there. But it was important for me to carry on that. And so, but then I got to a point now, like so. Let me finish real quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then I got to now. So so when I right before I got married, I bought a Honda brand new Honda Accord brand new. Because so I wanted something reliable for my family. So we got married. My wife's car that I'm driving now is not as reliable. But she drives it because I want her to be safe. Like, when it comes to both of us driving, I need her to be the safest. So she's driving the Honda. And I'm driving a, a car that's loud when you crank it up, has some mechanical issues. But I'm okay. Like, I'm not pressed to have the luxury car right now. I'm, I'm getting it. Don't worry, it's coming. It's, it's full, coming.
0: Full, it's, full
1: it's coming. But I'm I'm when thankful. Speak- I don't I don't need that right now because I have some value systems that are a lot higher right now. Safety for my my wife and and knowing my daughter's gonna need a car soon too.
0: You just running me running me through all my questions without even have to <laughs> ask them because the next thing we was gonna talk about was fatherhood and mentorship. Yes. But let's go back real quick and talk about the BMW thing. And when we talked about our matriculation on things that we cocooned out of every day, instinctively you purchased the BMWs for a closer connection to mm-hmm. your
1: father. And it was hard to let go. Keep that going. The red one we had to let go because my younger brother tore it up. <laughs> the white one is still in my parents' backyard now and I am I need to sell it, but I'm just holding on to it. And the green one, I had some transmission issues. There wasn't no need to hold on to that. And that, the green one I sold right before we got married and, um, you know, I think I felt a deep connection to those BMWs outside of the fact that they were BMWs. Because prior to that, I didn't have a desire to have a BMW. My dad kind of put that in me. Um, but he also showed me how to buy used cars.
0: <laughs> I want to talk to you about being a bonus. Yeah, starter. man. There, there are a lot of people who walk into that blind yeah room and don't understand the sensitivity and the psychologically and the psychological value it has and also in the patience mm-hmm. it takes i had a bonus dad and for what i was told i wasn't very nice all the time when he first came around when mm-hmm. i was young but speak to me about the level of patience the things you practice to earn the trust to be honored as a bonus yeah. dad
1: yeah i, I think the the biggest thing I took from being diagnosed with cancer, I realized the people that helped me the most were the people that went through it themselves. And so when it came to that, I talked to guys that were bonus dads that came into a situation that was either similar to mine or not really similar to mine, but they were bonus dads and how you build those relationships. And the number one thing that they all told me in some way was to be yourself because if you pretend to be somebody else, who you really are is going to eventually come through and then you know you're going to lose the trust of that person or that child and so what happened for me was i was able to interact with sanaya at our church prior to my wife and I even dating because when i joined the church and went to my wife was dating somebody else and no for the people i didn't break them up they broke up on their own
0: I know that's what people always want to go. Thinking, nope,
1: that's not what happens. Or so nah. I
0: think I think I was thinking that you know <laughs> God brought the right man to the I church. You might have looked at
1: me and was like, "Oh, he cute." No, no, I'm just kidding, man. But um, <laughs> so I, I I was fortunate enough where I established somewhat of a relationship prior to that, and you know, Mister, she called me Mister Craig at that time. You know, so we had a relationship, so it was a smooth, somewhat of a smoother transition. It wasn't like. Tasia was like, here's the guy I'm dating. Like, she already knew And who I Wait, was.
0: wait. I must say this. And no to the people at home that think his plan was to get in good with the daughter <laughs> first.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, I joined the church because my friend, uh, good friend, Pastor Sim, is the pastor of the church. And I wanted to get involved with the children. He was like, you need to talk to Tasia. She's over at children's ministry. And that's how I asked. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, being a bonus dad has, has extremely blessed my life um, tremendously. Um, Saniya is so talented. She's an entrepreneur at 16. She sells eyelash.
0: Oh, we got a little disconnected. I think your headphones might have connected again.
1: Yeah, my, let me.
0: It's all right. I uh, went back out again.
1: You can't? Okay. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry about that.
0: Oh, she's 16 um, years old and she's selling eyelashes.
1: Eyelashes. And so I'm, the thing is, I'm not an eyelash person, right? My, <laughs> I, my wife, I like my wife to, if she wears them, just the very modest ones or whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, one thing I learned being an entrepreneur myself if there's a demand out there, as long as there ain't nothing illegal, right? right? You know, so if there's a demand for young ladies and women to want eyelashes and she could provide that, make that money. Mm-hmm. You know, so she has a dream not to just do that, like, long-term, but to get into cosmetology. And she's a, a competitive dancer as well. And so I'm so proud of her. Like, I'm so proud of... Um, her fight to to do well in school and and to be a good friend and um I, I I've seen our relationship grow more and more. She trusts me with things that she won't even trust her mom with first. Like she'll come to me and talk about boys, boys. You know, she'll talk about boys. And so,
0: well, it's the best and, to talk to somebody who knows boys. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. So she'll come to me and talk about dad and friendships and just regular life stuff. And so, um, yeah, man, bonus dad is, is awesome. So fellas out there, I know it can be difficult, but number one, seek someone who has done it. Get tips, be yourself, be yourself and and approach the situation with caution and care. You know, you may be used to doing certain things when you're home alone by yourself. And this is if, even if you have a bonus daughter or bonus son, you may have norms that you would probably do if it was just you and your uh, significant other, but you need to put up some of those um, things, that, you know, because you just don't know the previous situation. So you always have to be cautious in those situations and ease your way into some of those things you would normally do and say, because it's different because you didn't have that child when they were born um, and, and been there the whole time.
0: We only got a few questions, left. I'm not going to hold you too much longer. I know you want to get to your family. So I appreciate you giving those comments on being a bonus dad. Uh, I think that's going to be some valuable information in there mm-hmm. for that. I want to talk to you about, we talk about leaving a legacy, yeah. right? For our families. And we talk about being patriarchs, mm-hmm. but we mostly ignore major steps. Do you have a will?
1: A will. I don't have a will.
0: I, and i and i ask these questions i ask that question to everyone and usually a hundred percent well i'm 99.9 only one of my guests has a will and i want to stress the importance of not having someone fight over your things yeah. and not having someone being responsible to pay for something like your burial well, when well, well, right well I, don't,
1: I don't have a of active will but i do have my wife and I both have life insurance, a significant amount of life insurance on both of us and our child, um, that not only covers burial but also covers any debt and living expenses at least for a few years. So that, that's one—that's that's one thing we did do when we got married because that was important because I, I didn't want to put her in a position to where it's like we're not doing GoFundMe and my family. We're not doing it. We're not, <laughs> but to your, to your point to your point about you know the yeah. assets and things like that the will that's important and it's something that's been on my mind and I and we just gotta do it I love it.
0: I, I think I think the energy I think the energy of it a lot of people walk away from it because of what the energy has to be given mm-hmm. to prepare yeah but the most certain thing in life that we have the most guaranteed that we know Maybe. is that one day we'll be recycled. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah let me tell you and let me let me give you a shout out right now the the courage to ask those questions on a forum like this shows you love and you care about the people you bring on here and not only them but your listeners because appreciate because let me tell you what most people would do they would shy away from that type of question to ask on a forum like this because it's going to be out there for people to watch. And I'm not ashamed of that. I don't have one because it's going to make somebody look like, wow, Craig don't have a will? I don't think anybody had a will. Craig would do it. You know, Craig seems like Mm -hmm. a responsible guy, but he does have life insurance for him and his family. Now That's important.
0: But Well, let me stop you right there. The biggest thing about in our community, and I told this story before to another gentleman, Mm -hmm. I don't have a will. I'm asking the question and I don't know. Oh, look at that. Right. And, and I think for me, it was, it's, it wasn't important, obviously, but it is important. Yeah. This is where the question came from. I was looking for company in mm. my ignorance and I should, and I had plenty of it and it's not to make fun of anyone, but yeah. I wanted to bring importance to someone, an elderly white man, Pulled me to the side in the gym. He didn't know me. He just Mm -hmm. came up to me and said, hey, young man, do you have a will? Come to find out he was a multimillionaire lawyer who owned most of the uh, wings places in Columbia. Wow. Wow wings. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with his status. But he still took the time to talk to me and ask me about a will. So every day, every time he saw me in the gym, did you get that will yet? A lot of people don't have it. And I'm like, I'm a young man. What do I need a will for? Yeah. But it's important. Mm -hmm. It just speaks. And then I started asking my elderly people above me. I started asking my parents, my cousins, my brothers. No. Because we're so... I think in our culture, we deal with trauma so much. To bring the energy to start talking about that makes you feel like my dad is 76 years old. Mm-hmm. I, he came on the show. Thank God he came on the show. I asked him that question. He said, man, we still got time for that. <laughs> that lets me know. Yeah. He doesn't want to even talk about it. But you're 76. Right. Not saying that you're near anything. But right. the conversation needs to yeah. be. Wow. It's nothing but a piece of paper and writing it down and signing your name to it.
1: Yep. And saying, this is where I want this to go. This is where I want it. good because you can, because in my mind, somebody like me that says, no, I don't have a will, but you know what I have, you know, I got life insurance. So people take care of, but now when I think about it, and I've thought about it before. I think about other assets and other uh, things that I have that could be potentially taken away. If it's not explicitly put in writing, um, that's important for me to to take care of because, mm-hmm. you know, you, I think the, the one of the biggest gifts you can give for your loved ones is when you leave here, all they have to do is mourn you. Mm. Like, that's, and that's that's the reason why the level of life insurance that we both got, we got because I wanted her to not have to worry about, oh, we, we got to pull 500 from here. I got to ask somebody for this, I gotta do a GoFundMe. Nope. If something happens, you know, the house is paid for. You can pay for the house, you can pay for all my debt that they're gonna come knocking on your door for. You can do all that. You can just write the checks and, and it'll be done for. But the will is something we don't have that both of us need to do.
0: That's a, it's Thank just you. a it's just a conversation to be had one time. You pray over it and you can leave it right where it's at.
1: That's right.
0: But you, you as you ask, grow, get more things. Of course, you gotta make some changes. But yeah, yeah, but changes saying you got more is a good thing for the person you're leaving it to.
1: Yeah, you asked the question earlier, so I'm a, I'm gonna be quiet. I think you're gonna ask it again. I think.
0: <laughs> well, what what question was that?
1: Go was ahead. by mentoring. You jumped on mentoring, so I was I didn't want to jump. Yeah, yeah, ahead yeah.
0: It. We can we can go back to that because I, I I just wanted to stay in the vein of things you were talking about. Talk to me yeah. about mentoring.
1: So. About a month ago, I got a phone call from a professional colleague who said, um, "Craig, I, I really need you to reach out to this person, this young, this young um, male, African American male, um, who who just needs a mentor, or whatever, who needs to talk to somebody." And um, I said, "Absolutely." So um, I called him. And that conversation was so powerful, Sheen. It was so powerful in many ways. One, this young man is amazing. Um, And on our first phone call, he did something that was very similar to what you just did to me. Um, Because a lot of times when you reach out to somebody on a cold call or just talking to them and you're, you're establishing some type of relationship with them, you know, there's not accountability there. There's more so of a blanket. Oh, we're going to get together. You know, I'll call you sometime, whatever. He did something. He said, I said, and we kind of had that, both of us. Well, I kind of I was like, yeah, man, we're going to stay connected, blah, blah, blah. And I meant it. But he said, well, let's make it every week this same time and day. Mm. I was like, wow. Like, it, it showed me that one he he saw value in what I could bring to his life right. in the season he's in. And two, he demanded accountability. Mm. Like don't just call me one time and you know, cause maybe some maybe he's been burned in the past with so called mentors. So right. now I'm not gonna now on my calendar because you know, I'll I kind of cover his name up, but, you know, boom. Every Tuesday at five o'clock, it's on my calendar and we chat, we call each other and we talk. Now if something comes up, it comes up, but, nice. um, it showed me something I always believe about mentorship. If you can't do it consistently and faithfully, it's better that you decline because I, I've been tugged on to mentor so many people and, power of saying no not saying that you didn't care but if you can't do it consistently sometimes it'll do more harm than good if you come into someone's life kid or adult that you're mentoring and you can't consistently be there um, for that person
0: i got a question for you yes sir now you have experience with mentoring people had there ever been a moment where you were mentoring mentoring and you weren't seeing a steady increase of their personality or their want to thrive. Did you try a method of a tough love, and it not work out?
1: No, because tough love is not who I am. That you know, to to try an approach that not is not innately in inside of Craig is doing that person a disservice. You know, my just like my technique with. Uh, my daughter is, you know, is very methodical, very uh, even keel, you know, approach. And so when it comes to mentoring, when I look at mentoring my students, I go back to the, the granular level of being a third grade teacher, you know, not seeing the success that I wanted, but knowing that the approach that I'm taking as not just their academic instructor, but also a father figure and mentor, that I just need to stay the course. And the thing I had to realize is that change I'm hoping to see may not come in those 180 days that are, that are with me. It may come years later.
0: All right. So to follow up the question for me yeah. is how do, I, how do I approach a man I have problems with?
1: Mm. Um, that's a great question. I think before that approach even happens, you have to be extremely honest with yourself of your intentions of the interaction. Mm. Because sometimes the issue you have with a person, it's not even worth you having interactions with them. Right. Now, if it's something that going that is going to affect your livelihood your family your money things that are important to you on a daily daily basis mm-hmm. and that person or that man is causing conflict in those things that you're responsible for you have to figure out why am i approaching this man and my intention because things can get heated if you approach it the wrong way, even if you approach it the right way. tell so, me how,
0: how would you approach it? If let's say this person was something you, okay, let's give a scenario. You work for someone. You don't mm-hmm. like the way they speak to you. don't like the way they talk to you. How does a man approach that to another man knowing that he can possibly lose his job and it costs his family an income? Knowing that, that the vitriol of, of, of accountability yeah. People don't like accountability, but if you demand it, I've learned, I've learned to love it. I, I love it too. But when you demand it from your, your to, to, to be received and given. Yeah. So, it's, so some, people run from
1: Well, sometimes it's all about the build up, the build up to that, because if you are approaching another man about a situation where there was no relationship prior you're pretty much doomed from the start. Mm. You're doomed from the start. There was no, um, there was no addition to that person. There was no value added to that person. There was no influence, no positive influence to that person. There was no um, uh, learning from that person, and so that will make it difficult. Now, on the flip side, if you do have those things, if you if you are an employee or employer. Um, or your employee of someone and your boss like the example you gave. and y'all have a working relationship. y'all have a situation where they've added value to you. For example, you know my current my current boss um, she we and her have a, a great working relationship. so I've come to her with things that I needed to change within my role here at um, PSA. Give you a prime example. Two years ago, I'm being paid to be a lobbyist, right? I'm a lobbyist, director of governmental affairs for PSDA. Two years ago, I'm comfortable enough to come there and say, Kathy, I can't do this anymore. I, 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 I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to finish out my, my year of doing it, but I can't do it anymore. And because of the value that was added by me to the organization and the value she saw in me, mm. it was a situation where she was able to say, fine, you can transition into this role. What do you want to do? And I was able to say, well, these are things I like to do. And I'm, I'm able, I'm actually able now to organically grow the position that I'm in now in the way that I see fit. And so it's, it's all about those relationships. And, and I'll be honest with you, Sheen, I've never had that experience. So it's hard for me to answer that.
0: No, no, that's a great answer. But listen, you just helped a lot of people you look at the situation and then you first analyze and have a sound judgment yeah. establishing the value you have in that relationship.
1: Because mm-hmm. if it doesn't
0: have a certain level of value, then you'll fall on deaf ears. That is a great answer.
1: Sometimes it might not be
0: worth addressing.
1: Like what yeah. value that person and, and that's personal relationships. And mm-hmm. like going back to mentoring, like I have mentors one of them, I was right before you call. One of them is shout out to Kobe Wilkerson. I don't know if you know Kobe. Kobe is an author, and I actually was able to mentor Kobe through this book process. He he talks about me his forward when well, he wrote that book in a week, and so Kobe, <laughs> yeah, he wrote it in a week. It's a great book, man. Um, and you know Kobe holds extreme value to me. Ron Harvey guru leadership here in Columbia and across the world, Um, John Maxwell leadership um, coach, those people are people I check in with constantly. I check in with them. They check in with me. They check in to see how I'm doing. And so that constantly iron sharpens iron, that accountability. You know, if I'm not on my A game with something, them calling me out, Uh, one of my good friends, Rob, Rob was at State with us. I don't know if you remember Rob Taylor, but he, you know, I wrote about him in my book um he has this thing called rob logic where you got to read the book to get it but he just he just takes everyday situations and just makes you think about it like he didn't tell you what to think but he questioned it the way you think
0: right we definitely got to talk to those guys one day oh, i got yeah. two more questions for you and i'm gonna let you get out of here because i know you got a certain time frame that we got yep these next two questions but one of them is a question. The other is just about an affirmation that I'm trying to get started for my brothers who come on the show. Okay. So two questions in the affirmation. Should there be a basic training program for men in impoverished societies, skill traits given outside of school? I know you're in the education system, but should yeah. there be... Something in our communities that says, hey, my next door neighbor and his family will know how to read. My next door neighbor and their family, we have this skill trait. They have this skill trait. We are building our community. Everybody will have a basic level of education here. Should there be something like that in place, especially in the black community?
1: Well, yes. The short answer is yes. And to go a little bit deeper... I think we've gotten complacent in expecting the structures and the systems that weren't built for us in the first place Mm. to do that job. Mm. So, it is very important for those structures to be in place because I think they were once there. Like, when we were closed off, when we were um, before integration, right?
0: Mm. You know,
1: um, we had those bartering systems. We had you know what? I don't have money, but you got chickens. I got uh, pigs. Let's let's figure out a way. I know that's like um, a weird answer, but that's that's the that's, no. if you look at that meant if you look at that mentality that they had to make sure that we were pulling each other up, then it's so important. And I we tell our daughter all the time. You know, four year college is not necessary if that's not what you want to do, if it's not leading you to where you want to go. If you want to pick up a trade like cosmetology and doing hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff, there is great money in that. Yeah. You won't have the debt that I have. Right, (laughs) right,
0: right. There's great money. um,
1: So, as far as programs in our communities um, as a base model to teach, you know, very basic skills, life skills, and, and, and one thing I found, Sheem, is that just regular, just some of the abstract things that I was afforded because of my upbringing, just the abstract skills of um, communicating, problem solving, critical thinking, um, remaining calm in situations, how to, how to go through steps um, to make the right decision, um, in addition to making sure that you know, people in the community know how to read, Um, and do basic math and and some of the technological things that we have now with technology, the the basic part of that is so crucial. Now, the mode to get there, right?
0: I think using uh, assets is one of the modes. I don't mean to cut you off, but I just want to put this in perspective. In Columbia, in South Carolina, where I used to live, Mm -hmm. the library system is one of the most hidden gems they have (laughs) everything at the library. They even have 3D you're printers.
1: Artists. 3D printers, like if you a hip hop artist, you can go there and record
0: your album. For free, for <laughs> like, free, for like free. Every, everything, and, and state of the art. We're not talking, that's in every library across the city of Columbia, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure across the state of South Carolina. Yes. Now everybody can't get to the library when you live in rural country. Right. You can create a library with your neighbors. You can get their blueprints out there. We got to start mimicking and stop creating so much. Yeah.
1: My sister-in-law works at the one downtown, man. And she's always saying like, you know, there's so many resources. Like even if you need help with your resume and stuff like that, because she does that kind of stuff with the library. And so many people don't take advantage of it. If you're an author, they have an author's club where you can get your book featured. Um, They have like farmer's market. Now this is on um, pre COVID obviously, but I mean they have so many resources that people
0: farmers have. market was every Wednesday. And they gave out vouchers for people who have under underprivileged families can get free from. Yeah. But no one yeah, ever so, came to get the voucher. So a lot of
1: times there are resources out there. Um but but one thing I learned and and this is not to this is not to diminish anybody, but there's a reality that You know, some people don't want to move up, not up in the sense of socioeconomic, but some people don't, they're so stuck and they're so used to, this is what we've always done. Sometimes you have to, to get them here first, like they have to believe that they can reach certain things and do certain things because they'll psych themselves out because their mother or father couldn't do it or didn't do it.
0: That's why I spoke to you about how important it is to move away where you're from and rebranding yourself. Yeah. Validation from your partner. It's like you win a championship when you found the right man or woman to be with, but how important it is for you to defend the title. Are you competing to keep your wife's attention?
1: Am I competing? I, I, It can seem that way, but I think you end up. Competing. No, I think you should. I think you no, should. No, 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 no. You you should, but I think you end up competing with the versions of yourself as you go through a marriage. Ooh. So yeah, they're outside forces. They're outside. You know, there are other men outside of you know outside that she interacts with, women that I interact with on a daily basis. But at the end of the day is competing with those versions of yourself. And I'm not saying this, what I'm about to say is 100% true, but more than likely the version of yourself that was dating and marriage is probably the version as far as the energy that you put in that you want to maintain throughout your marriage. Because let's be honest, as you go through years, some things fall off, you know, you get home tired, Last night, prime example, I didn't even realize I did it until my wife was asleep. Like, I came home, I was tired, I got home like 8 45, and she was already asleep, I didn't want to wake up. I realized, like, I didn't kiss her when I got home. Mm. I was laying in the bed, I realized I put everything down, I got something to eat, she was doing work in the bed or whatever, and, you know, we spoke to each other, it wasn't like, oh, not, nothing like that, but I, I always do that.
0: Don't forget to defend the title, brother.
1: I gotta always defend. So I always have to compete with the, di- the versions of myself. So the, the part of me in year one that was always that was rubbing her feet at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Now, when was the last time I rubbed my, my wife's feet? Don't forget so that, to defend
0: the title. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, gotta, keep gotta the defend title. The title. Well, well, the title. I, think,
1: I don't think it's defending the title against anybody out there. Is defending the title against the versions of yourself.
0: I love that answer.
1: Finding the best version of yourself, whether it, whether it is dealing with the emotional, physical and um, spiritual um, parts of, of your marriage, defending the title with a different version of yourself. man. That's that's a good question. man.
0: Now, that leads me into my final affirmation that I want to put on you. And it's a question also, but I want to talk about it. And you, once again, have segued me perfect into it. I came up with this thing called operating at 100%. It is a daily test for yourself and an overall average of the way you live in your life. For example, I came up with five things. I broke it down in percentages that are subjective to how you feel about yourself. Now, one would be purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. And for me, the highest thing I have is health. And then I have confidence second. And then I have purpose, knowledge, then money some people could have money first my question to you if you had these things in a percentage and you looked at your life today in the last 24 hours of your life are you operating at 100 percent
1: in every area
0: and yeah because listen if we took purpose right you living in your purpose today yes absolutely you are you're there you're working you're helping others did, that is
1: your we get the five so money health purpose
0: confidence and knowledge, because you got to take knowledge in to be able to help people.
1: Yeah.
0: You got to have some money to be We're able to-
1: by, This is my last 24
0: hours. You go by your last 24 hours, if you look at it, if you look at health. The last 24 you... hours from now, the last 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. It, 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 when you wake up in the morning, you can start your 24, because when you make yeah. up some people, work out, they eat right or whatever, health, you know, are you going to live in your purpose? Are you confident when you do these things? In anything you do. Did you make some money today? Did you lose some money today? Did you take in some, something new that you didn't know today to help yeah. grow yourself? And you can give those percentages how you want to give them. But if you give purpose 30% and today you had a day off and you didn't do anything, then you wasn't working at 100% today. Right. And And you're not really hurting yourself. But day by day, you're giving yourself these percentages and then you can go back every week and said, man, as a whole, I operated at 80%. And if you have goals, you can say to yourself, well, the reason I didn't reach this goal because I was only operating at 80% this week. Yeah. I need to get that average up to 90. I need an A or better. And that's how you know you're doing something. Yeah. Operating at 100%.
1: Money, money, I would say last 60 the last 24 hours I'm at a 60% I'm gonna tell you why you want me tell you why I'm doing well, it, percent.
0: well it depends it depends on how much percent you gave money
1: so does everything have to add up to 100 yes oh so I'm doing it wrong I'm doing this wrong I'm
0: everything it adds wrong. up to 100 so for example if you gave 20% the money 20% of each one is five right so if you got 14% in money Gotcha. Then you're 6% off of where you could be. But then you also have to have a goal, how much money you want to make a day. $300 yeah. a day makes you a millionaire. You know? Yeah. So it, it it depends on, it's personal to you. Yeah. Some people just want to make $5 a day, $10 a day. Or mm. balance, make sure they paid all the bills. That, that's also a good thing today. Anything that associates with money. Did you go to the vending machine and spend $2 a day for for seven days, yeah. which is
1: $14? Yeah. Yeah, money is
0: 10%. Right, so, there you go. Money is 5% for me, I think. I did 5%. Because
1: cause like, even though I have, like I mentioned earlier in our conversation, even though I have, I check my account balance, I look at my debt sheet every every day, every other day, sometimes I make those decisions that aren't best. For example, I got breakfast this morning and I should have made the smoothie at home but I let tropical smoothie make it and I got that I got a little breakfast sandwich that was $10 on credit
0: and make listen to this though the smoothie was healthier so now your health and your money took a hit on your percentage today
1: yeah cuz yeah I put some extra stuff in my smoothie yeah <laughs>
0: Just think about it. It, it. just You just start holding yourself accountable for, for minor yeah. things and how much greater you would be once you're operating at 100%. Now, it's very hard. If you're hard on yourself and you challenge yourself with accountability, yeah. it's hard to operate at 100%, but it's yeah. not hard to be confident about what what grade you feel is acceptable yeah, yeah.
1: to go to sleep. I actually gave myself high on health just because like working out is, is, re- is really important to me. Mm-hmm. I got some health goals I'm trying to reach. So I put forty percent there. there you I go. put twenty percent on purpose. I put twenty percent on purpose just because like I think about things I should be doing a lot, but I don't always do them and sometimes um, I just don't do them. I don't really have a reason why I don't know. I just I just don't do them. I get lazy um and and even though I, I've done all these things and I do a lot of important work. I like watching TV sometimes, man. Like I find a good show. I ain't think about my purpose. I ain't think about giving back. Lovecraft Country. How... <laughs> I like Lovecraft Country. I haven't started that one yet, man. But um, I, I yeah. like a good TV series, man. I like a good TV series. But purpose twenty, confidence ten, man. And I, I know that seems low, but I I do have confidence in what I do, and and but surprisingly enough, sometimes I still. Doubt myself and wonder if it's enough. If I'm doing enough.
0: See, this is why it's subjective. You challenge yourselves in the you challenge yourself in the area you know you have problems with, and that's yeah. the percentage you want to get up because the way you live your life and the way you don't give up on people, your confidence is a given ten percent every day. But yeah. what about that forty? You know what I'm saying? Is that a given?
1: Yeah, but but you know what's what's crazy, shame is my perception. Of my confidence is ten percent, but I think for the people I interact with, they probably think it's much higher than that. If they had to give it a percentage,
0: right? That's why this is subjective. Yeah, You know how you work. Know thyself is the key to everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, excuse me, twenty percent for knowledge. That that rounds me out to a hundred percent. I think my biggest focus is like health. Like you know, I've been. I've been really focused on trying to do better healthy-wise. Matter of fact, me and my wife, we just started um, talking about meal planning just to make sure our portions are right. Um, so we're going to start doing that next week um, because it helps. You know, it helps with portions. It helps help health-wise and being able to do the things we need to do.
0: So when you at – the, at the end of this thing, right, when you look at the percentages – you then start to break it down by detail on what you did to create the percentages. So having meal plans underneath health is a check mark for a certain amount of that percentage. Mm-hmm. Drinking water instead of soda is a certain amount for that percentage. Exercise yeah. instead of sitting down and chilling is an exercise mm-hmm. is a, is a right for that percentage. So I just right. wanted to put that put that out there for all my men that we start operating at hundred percent and there's nothing they can do because when you speak about your father being the biggest influence in your life to be honest with you i have gotten my father was the biggest influence in my life from all my guests but in reality in media that is not reflected that black fathers even do anything for us so the biggest thing i get out of my first question is the same answer and that speaks volumes Of what's really, really going on. There
1: there are more fathers there than the media wants you to believe or that society wants you to believe. Absolutely. And and they're they're, they're there in very unique ways. Absolutely. Like the way my father was there is not the same across the board for everybody else. But that doesn't mean his, his impact wasn't. Um, as good or their impact wasn't as, as powerful. So, yeah, man, absolutely.
0: Thank you, sir. You are now part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Craig. Please tell them where we can find your book. Tell them we can find you and speak on it, Mr. Sure. King.
1: Absolutely. So you can stay in contact with me on social media, at CQ King on Instagram and Twitter or, and Craig King group all Greg together King. on Instagram and Twitter. Follow both pages. Um, my, my book can be purchased on Amazon. Uh, the, the path to exceptional living uh, 15 lessons to live an extraordinary life nice. extraordinary life on um, Amazon, or you can go to my website and purchase it and I can have a signed copy for you. Um, at Craig King group.com. So, I uh, would love to connect with you. Uh, email address is info at Craig King group.com. So
0: reach send out me to that, me. Send me that link, man. So I can, so I can support you, my brother and get me an autograph. You want book.
1: the signed copy or you want the Amazon
0: link? Which one I you want? want? I, I want the signed copy, but, but sending it to me right now might be a little expensive. So I'm going to get the signed copy and have somebody pick it up to hold it for me. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. I got and you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut your, sh- your shout-out off. Oh, no, I'm good. Well, Craig King, thank you very much. And I hope Gene you... the Dream,
1: my brother. <laughs> <laughs>